This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're almost superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. This person I had the opportunity, the privilege, and the honor of being interviewed on her podcast. So now it's her turn to be in the hot seat. The person I'm referring to is one of my C-suite sisters, Connie Fife. Connie, now who is Connie? Well, let me tell you a little bit about who Connie is. Connie is the unstoppable diva, a high-performance coach and the founder of the Fife Group in Los Angeles, California. She offers keynote speaking and is the producer and host of the award-winning podcast, Up or Out with Connie, winning podcast, Up or Out with Connie, helping entrepreneurial leaders achieve excellence and be unstoppable together. The Fife Group is a business architect firm helping entrepreneurial leaders achieve excellence and be unstoppable together. She has spent nearly 25 years in leadership, creating high-impact organizations through emotional engagement and helping perform at their peak performances. She was the CEO of the Girl Scouts USA and Director of the United States Chamber of Commerce. Program focus was leadership, personal development, and performance. Programs are designed to help C-suite executives and leadership teams and entrepreneurial leaders. Her programs include the Unstoppable Together C-Suite Global Council for Women, Total Leadership Academy for All C-Suite Executives, the Unstoppable Together Freedom Academy, Business Accelerator Academy, and Council for Women Biannual Conference. Connie has authored over 450 articles and five books on leadership, performance, personal development, marketing, and influence. From drag racing, Harley riding, horse taming, tattoo diva, she broke the mold and is not your typical leader. Connie is the immediate past president of the National Speakers Association, GLAC, Member National Speakers Association, an advisory board member Dress for Success, and founder of the Be Unstoppable Together Foundation for Women, helping young women achieve excellence in business. Wow, what a repertoire. Connie, congratulations on all your success, and welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you? I am great, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm riding quite the high after reading that bio. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one thing I'm always interested in knowing about each of uh, my individual guests, Connie, Connie, is the inception of their journey. So where did this all begin for you in terms of just being a powerhouse and really knowing what your passions are, knowing what your strengths and your skill set is? Like, Did you discover that when you were a young child somehow and it branched out into this? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I can't say that. I was an entrepreneur at a very young age before I even knew 
the definition of an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, I, I lived with my grandmother, and, you know, I had to help pay bills. So, I mean, I, I, I can remember as young as eight years old riding around the neighborhood with a bicycle and a little basket on the front, and I would do shopping for the neighbors. I would clean houses. I was ironing. I was babysitting. You name it, I did it. But not realizing that I was setting myself up for for what I'm doing today. And I mean, I really took the path of working in corporate, working in organizations. And my my dearest and most uh, prevalent position was a CEO for Girl Scouts, and just loved loved what I was doing. But 11 years ago, as with a lot of organizations over the past couple decades really took a, a look at the organization and said, okay, we really need to look at best practices. We, re- we need to look at economies of scale. So Girl Scouts, as any corporation, uh, took a look and across the country, the 311 councils that we had at the time and said, okay, we need to tighten, tighten the ship and narrow this down. So they did take that to, from 311 to 101 of where it's at today. But unfortunately, uh, a lot of people like myself were in the way and lost our, lost our jobs, lost our positions. So that's what really took me down the path of where I'm at today because, you know, after a couple of months of depression and a lot of margaritas, unfortunately it was in the Northeast that I got to hang out around the pool and drink a lot of margaritas and try to figure out what I was going to do next. The Girl Scouts actually called me and asked me if I would come back to coach the new CEO. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, uh, hell no. <laughs> like, why would I do that? You, you know, you didn't want me. Um, so after multiple months of begging me to do this, uh, I, I agreed. And I said, okay. And at that point, the new office was about two hours from where the town that I lived in. I said, she has to come here. I'll meet her here. We'll have lunch. You know, I'll talk. I'll see what she needs. Mm -hmm. She never shows up. Well, I found out she was fired that morning. That's why she didn't show up. Wow. So then they hired somebody else as an interim, called me, and asked if I would come in and coach the interim. Mm -hmm. And so by this point, I thought, okay, Let's think smarter about this. So I went back and I said, okay, pay me and I'll do it. So I did and I coached her into retirement after a couple of months. Good for you. <laughs> and then they brought in a third person. And again, the same thing. I coached her and then realized, you know what? They just gave me a gift. And mm-hmm. that's when I took inventory of what it is that I had to offer and said, this is a gift. And this is what I'm going to do. And I, I set up shop, and it still took me several years. And I think in some regards I'm still trying to be very, very clear on who it is that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And, and as – because you're on my podcast, Upper Out, and uh, the premise of Upper Out is there are so many people that still are, you know, are entrenched in working in corporate. They want to move up. They want to be in the C-suite. They want to be heard in the boardroom. But then what I started finding out from a lot of clients saying to me is you're missing an important point, and that is showing us how to get out. 
mm. giving us plan B. And I, so I, then again, I struggled with that. I'm like, well, how do I promote that to a corporation? I'm going to come in and show you people how to get out. I, I don't think they're going to appreciate that. But when I started doing that and I, I rolled it into my leadership program, my total leadership program, actually corporations were calling me and telling me how wonderful that piece of the program and how valuable that piece of the program was that now their people knew that they had a plan B. So rather than working in a place of scarcity or working in a place of I want to go to my paradise, they, their performance increased. And, you know, they became really high-performing individuals, not ready to leave, but knowing that they can and they have someplace else to go. And it made for happier employees in, in, the, in the leadership space, you know, in the C-suite space. So I thought that was this really, really incredible when, when I started hearing that. So, it was, you know, I've been doing this for 11 years, but two years ago, I, you know, I stepped back. I spent some time with my mom before she passed away several months. And during that time, I did, I was doing research and really understanding who my audience is and who my, my niche is. And it really came down to helping people, yes, still move up, but the majority of them really want to move out. So that's really where my sweet spot is to help them be very high performing. Uh, you know, really enhance those leadership skills, work on their personal brand, but then also work on that business marketing and the influence side that so many entrepreneurs don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a passion or they have a purpose, but they don't know how to market it. They don't know how to sell it. So I spend right. a lot of time on that piece of it in in the programs to helping them really realize who they are. So going back to your initial question, did I always know this? No. <laughs> but, right. but I was set up and trained for this as, at a very young age. To, as a well, full circle. Well, let me ask you this, because something you said just tweaked for me, and this is what I love about unscripted dialogue, because you never know what tangent the conversation is going to go in organically. So, you know, as somebody similar to yourself, you know, we read a lot of business books, we we read a lot of personal development books, and we just know who we are at the core of what makes us tick. And so, you know, let me play devil's advocate for a moment, going back to what you said, Connie, about, uh, you know, coming up with a, a plan B. Now, some people might alternatively be more philosophically and professionally aligned with the mindset of if you are completely all in, completely all in taking massive action and you can completely visualize what it is you see for yourself, whatever it is you're endeavoring to do, whatever it is your goal is, whatever it is your passion, but knowing that you're results-oriented, if you are completely 100% all in, can you really have a plan B? Doesn't that kind of screw up the subconscious a little bit and, and it gives you a bit of a gateway to say, okay, well, there might be some room for some self-sabotage here if I if I allow myself to even go and venture off in the direction of giving myself a gateway to something else, thinking this might not come to fruition? Absolutely. And I thought about that initially because someone said to me when I first started doing this, they said, are you all in or do you only have you know, tipping your toe in the water. And when he said that, I mean, it was an aha moment for me. So then working with executives, I also had that same thought about that because if they're thinking they have some place to go, are they going to give their all to the organization? And going back, I mean, and I spent a lot of time researching and surveying 
and going back and, and they were saying no that they didn't see that that they they seen that there was a change but it was a positive change for these individuals because you know when I started doing this ten years ago you had a lot of companies that were doing the same thing as Girl Scouts, which was downsizing and saying, okay, we have economies of scale. And, you know, there was a lot of mergers. There was a lot of acquisitions. And, and people still had to work to, to the end, but they were really working in a place of scarcity, not knowing where to go next. And knowing that they had this, it, it just increased it. And in some cases, and I have people who came back to me, and, and in some cases, their performance increased so much and when after working with me, they decided that they did want to give 100% to their organization, and that allowed them to get the promotions that they wanted, and you know, and move up into the C-suite, and you know, and again, increase increase their performance, and have never left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're talking about companies like Coca-Cola and uh, Microsoft. They were part of it. Apple, you know, the senior team. They were part of it. So, I mean, we're talking big Fortune 100 organizations that, you know, I've run this program through, and they're just like, no. And, again, out of everybody that I worked with and did this program with, I could count on one hand how many people actually did leave to start their own business. And in most cases, it was because of the downsizing of the organization, and then these people had, you know, that plan, or they knew where to go next with their business. Wow. So for what you've described, and I know from what we talked about when I had the honor of being on your podcast, you know, some of the similarities and commonalities uh, that parallel each of our own lives is we talked about what it was to be a single parent and and kind of moving and navigating through the fog with that. So when I hear what you talk about on the business end and what I already previously know from our previous discussion uh, on the personal front and all that was going on in your life at that time, you know, this is why I think you're a perfect fit for living fearlessly because you truly have embodied that. You truly have, I mean, there's no comfort in any of those situations. It's like, you know, it's fight or flight. Right. Yes. And And particularly when children are involved, particularly when you've got teams of people involved that you're responsible for leading. And when you're working specifically with the actual leader who's going to be hopefully walking their talk and and trying to get the organization to thrive. So you you truly had your work cut out for you, did you not? (laughs) (laughs) Beyond belief. Uh, Living fearlessly, I mean, that's where the be unstoppable came from because people started saying that to me. They're just like, you're just like unstoppable. You know, again, I got divorced. You know, you get knocked down. You know, you go in that that valley of depression and, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. But then it was like, no, I got to pick myself up. We got to move forward because even after my divorce, I wasn't working. I was a stay-at-home mom. And then it was like, okay, what am I going to do now? So, I got a job, and, you know, then I focused on my career. Even after Girl Scouts, I did not have my college degree when I was the CEO for Girl Scouts. Wow. Now, now granted, that was an issue when they first hired me, but I was chair of the board. I was director at the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, they knew me. And then after looking for a CEO for over a year, and we just weren't finding that right fit, the board came back to me and said, okay, we know you don't have a degree. Uh, And there were some collegiate people on the board, again, who questioned that. But they said, but 
you, you've been acting as a CEO for over a year. And what I did in just over a year cleaning up the organization, they said, we want you on board. Mm-hmm. And then when the, how, how it had happened, I, I, I'll never forget. We're sitting in Atlanta at our national conference and the Girl Scout and the board chair come up. And I mean, we were going through some stuff and some realignment and we were looking at best practices and they announced that we're going to go do this realignment for an entire year. But before lunchtime, they congratulated me and said, oh, the best CEO is Cloudy Five. We have lunch. We come back to make the announcement. We're going to do realignment. I'm sitting there in my chair and I said, oh, shit, I know exactly what this means. <laughs> so for an entire year, it was just nonstop, seven days a week, traveling, having town hall meetings, um, having threats against my life, traveling with the bodyguard, because, you know, there was such a, a, a compassion of the organization by our volunteers, by our delegates and our stakeholders, you know, they didn't want to see this happen. And because I was a CEO, I was the target for a lot of what, you know, what was going on and what was said. But at the end of the year, uh, I mean, it continued after me and, you know, with other people in place, there are lawsuits. I mean, it it really got ugly. Mm -hmm. But um, so anyway, after a year when I was done, I mean, my – we had the meeting because the delegates still had to vote, and I got a standing ovation. And even from the naysayers and the people who really harassed me, and I had to ask them, like, why did you? Like, you brought me flowers, gave me a standing ovation. And they said, because you let us be heard. You let us speak, and we know you were listening to what we had to say. Although you didn't agree with us, we know you were listening to us. Mm-hmm. And Amazing. That's- and that's when they started, like, you just, like, unstoppable. They, they said, you know, we threw the worst things at you, and you just kept on going. So, you know, again, I just think my, you know, my whole life I, I was set up for that. But because um, even a couple of years ago, even after Girl Scouts is when I found out I was adopted. So it was like, okay, they wow. just keep throwing stuff at me. And, you know, I, <laughs> I you know, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll work through it. I'll work around it, you know, what, whatever the case may be. And, and it's so great when I work with people and, you know, they're like, oh, I have this. And I'm just like, talk to the hand. Like, <laughs> great. Well, let me, let me ask you this then, Connie. So, I mean, clearly for an organization like the Girl Scouts, it only makes sense to have it run uh, led by a female leader. But when you compare that to the climate and the, the, the culture of what was going on in CEO-type positions. Right. I mean, you know, what was it like for women trying to get into CEO positions that weren't necessarily a female-governed type agency or association? You know, what was going on back then? It was really difficult because I tried. I, I, I seriously tried because um, so after Girl Scouts, I decided I was going to go back and finish my degree which I did. Mm-hmm. So I got my bachelor's degree in organizational innovation. And then I went on and I got a double master's degree on top of it. Fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't just do one. So I have it in uh, public administration and business administration. You know, I had to dive right in. But at the same time, thinking that I was applying for positions. So I started applying for Girl Scout Council CEO positions uh, pretty much on the East Coast. That's where I was living at the time. 
um, from Maine to Miami, and I would always get down to the final candidate and not make it. And then I started interviewing for positions in corporations, you know, private corporations. I would get down to a final candidate, not make it. So, of course, I had to go back to, you know, the, the headhunter, the job search group I was working with and said, okay, what am I doing wrong? Like, what's what's going on? And some of it was before I, I finished with my degree, like months before, and they said, well, maybe it's that, that you don't have your degree yet. And I'm like, yeah, but I have my degree in the school of hard knocks, trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today, you know, without that. And then with corporations, it always came down. Now, of course, you can't say or accuse anybody of this, but it really came down to me versus the guy. I was losing out. So then I had a conversation with someone that I lost out to. I I went to the person who was hiring because I happened to know them. And I said, please tell me, uh, why? what was it? about me that I did not get the job, that I say something wrong on the interview, that I was the resume. I mean, what? I mean, I made it down to the final candidate. And so it was really getting frustrating for me. Now, this was said, of course, off the record. And this is what was said to me. And you're going to die. He said to me, he said, honey, you're not part of the good old boys network. Wow. Wow. Uh, You know, it's interesting because you, you hear those things, whether, you know, people are are chronicling the archives of what was once upon a time, the mindset of the culture, the working culture. Right. But, but I can honestly say I've not actually interfaced, had a connection with somebody who's been on the receiving end of that specific type of comment. That's mind-blowing. I, I blew me away. I mean, I was doing everything from, you know, making sure I wore a dark suit. And, I mean, I learned, you know, in D.C., that in order to stay up with the men, and I and I learned this from Mary Bono, Sonny Bono's wife, when she took over after he died, mm-hmm. and we had a really long conversation. And she said to me, she goes, you're not properly dressed. And this was when I was at the U.S. Chamber. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not properly dressed? She said, you need seven pieces of articles on to compete with the men in D.C., and what I was missing was a scarf around my neck, which would be equivalent to the men's tie. Wow. I owned about 500 scarves. <laughs> After that. And if I would forget it, because D.C., I don't know how it is now, but in D.C., you know, there's a vendor on every street corner, and they all had umbrellas and, and scarves. <laughs> Crazy. Well, let me ask you this, based on you having uh, graciously shared that, because that's, you know, that's 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 surreal for for many of us. That's surreal. It's not yeah. that we're naive. It's not that we we don't know how far we've come. We still recognize there's still a ways to go in terms of everybody being embraced and it not being gender specific, but based on skill and based on you know smarts and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, go when you look back, if if you can, Connie, and I know it's it's hard, especially when you're someone like yourself who's committed to the evolution of growth and you've managed to accomplish so much, such a, you know, a successive, uh, momentous time frame. But if you can go back to the mindset of living in that culture, can you honestly say that you were motivated to prove yourself in a man's world or were you more focused on proving yourself to yourself in Connie's world? Um, I was focusing on proving 
neither one of those, actually. I okay. was focused on proving to my family mm. that I was more than they thought. And is that because you were adopted? Yes. Okay. And then it was proving to myself and then it would have been proving that I can, you know, I could do it in, in a man's world. Um, I mean, even at the U.S. Chamber, I mean, it was led by men, you know, our senior team. Uh, we had, it was myself and there was another woman, but the rest of them were men. Um, so I, at the time, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't the U.S. Chamber who made that comment to me. It was somebody else. But at that time, I did not look at the men as my competition in terms of them being male versus female. I actually looked at them. Maybe I was young and naive, but I actually looked at them all of, if you could do it, I could do it. And I'm going to work harder so I could sit right alongside of you you know, in that seat when we were going out and asking for the billions of dollars. So like Donald Trump, I've asked him for, I've asked him for a lot of money. He never gave me anything, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> He's like, no, I do my own lobbying. All right, thanks. Right. Uh, but, yeah, now, but vote for me. Vote for me years down the road, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, at that point, my, I was proving to my family mm-hmm. that I had worth because of what was going on with the family at the time and the family dynamics. And like I said, and then it was proven to myself that I could do this. And then it was just competing with another person that I was as qualified as they were for. Cause at the, I mean, at the U.S. Chamber, I mean, it gets pretty, um, oh, it gets pretty, Hot and heavy, so to speak. Being and traveling and getting money and starting all over again. I mean, we'd be in three three states in one day. Crazy. And it was just crazy living. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I appreciate you being very vulnerable and candid and honest with that answer about it being your your family that was at that particular point in time in your life the motivating factor. So. Having said that, what I would also be interested to know, and as I'm sure the listeners would too, Connie, is what was the defining moment for you where you crossed over into complete self-acceptance, complete self-awareness to the point where you were able to say, okay, this is, I've been fueled by the wrong things. I've been motivated by the wrong things. Now it's not yes. about that. It's not about the family. It's not about breaking to a man's world, it's it's not about any of that. So what happened for you, whether it be an exchange, whether it be an opportunity, whether it be an epiphany, what shifted and, and what caused that? I'm, I'm going to say there were, there were several moments when that happened. One, when the comment was made to me that I wasn't part of the Good Old Boys Network. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I took that as, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Secondly was when I found out about being adopted. That was, uh, I mean, at that point I was like 98% certain that I was not a member of this family because there was abuse as a child. But when I found out the truth, that just lifted a huge weight off my shoulder. 
And when that happened, and I, you know, and I've met with my family, and you know, my real family, and they've accepted me, of course, with open arms. That, and then when I had someone say to me, all he said was to me, he goes, "You got this," and mm. that was, and that was my husband. Wow, lovely. He just said, "You got this." And because he didn't know how I was going to behave after learning about, you know, the truth about the adoption and at the same time losing the job that I loved the most, which was the Girl Scouts, you know, and he said, he goes, I wasn't quite sure where you were going to go with this. Mm -hmm. Um, So he said, he goes, basically what he, not basically, but what he did was he goes, go find your family. Just, just go. And because I got, I start, I got sick and um, during that, that time, and I did, and he just let me be. And when I came back, um, he goes, he goes, you got this. He goes, I have no doubt that you got this. And just hearing those three words, especially somebody who cared about me, mm-hmm. there was no question after that. Wonderful. Well, he sounds like a lovely man. Um, so... May I ask you how old you were when you found out that you were adopted, and how did you find out? I was 48. Okay. And I found out because, like I say, I grew up living with um, who I thought was my grandmother. Well, she was my grandmother. That's like what I called her. And she died shortly before my 16th birthday. Uh, I did a lot of couch surfing for a couple of years through high school, and then went back and lived with my Mother and father, it wasn't a very good relationship. My dad and father and I, who turned out to not be my real father, did not get along. Uh, so that's where a lot of my guilt happened. So years went by, you know, and just trying to figure out and try to understand it. So he died a couple of months after I lost my job with Girl Scouts. So I wasn't working. And then um, mom said, and I knew I was from Kentucky in the Appalachian Mountains. And mom said, oh, well, let's let's go to Kentucky and let's go visit the family. And my sister went with me. And that's when I found out. We were sitting in my aunt's um, house and talking. And my aunt had said something uh, about an abusive childhood that they had and sexually abusive. And I'm I'm like, oh, and like when my mom was 15, 16, and I just looked at my mother and I said, I said, what happened to you when you were 16? And that's when she came out and said it. Wow. And so she was, so I was sent, lived with somebody else. So I had five different or four different last names by the time I was five years old. So she was my real mom. He wasn't my real dad. The family wasn't my dad, you know, my family. And so anyway, um, so she, she let it out and I just looked at her and I could see the fear in her eyes, not knowing how I was going to react. And I looked at her, I gave her a hug and I said, thank you. Wow. And, and then my, and then my aunt walks out with this like big, like, you know, a Tupperware bin thing. And she's like, oh, and this is yours. And it was all my baby pictures and my my dress for my first Easter. And I'm thinking, 48 years it took you to get me this. That's, 
that's a mind-blowing story, Connie. And I, I just want to say, you know, there's a, there's a lot of actually, I'm, I'm being bombarded here with a lot of emotion and a lot of thoughts. And I just want to say, you know, it, it, to me, there's no coincidence and there's no surprise. I, I find. Yeah. One, the most beautiful people are the most authentic people. They're the people who have oftentimes been in the shits. They've been in the trenches. Anything that can get thrown at them gets thrown at them. And you're right. And I love the fact that you are self-actualized enough to know that there's a lesson. So rather than focusing on the trauma, the tragedy, the bad news, the stigmas, the the, you know, sexism and all that kind of stuff, what you decided to extrapolate out of each and every one of those scenarios in your life that's really transformed you to who we all know you to be today is you found the gift, you found the blessing, you found the light, you found the motivation, and you honed it, and you honed it, and no wonder you're as successful as what you are. No wonder people can relate to you. Um you know, because I think people who have to, who feel they've got to brush all that stuff under the rug and make it look like they've had this pretty, spectacular, unblemished, yeah. you know, past, it's crap. Because, it you is. know, it is. It, it's crap. And you actually do yourself a disservice in the personal world and in the professional world because we all know none of us come out of this unscathed. And it's usually those badges of honor and those scars and, you know, all the things that we've had to go through to rise to the top and get out of it and and know that our commitment to self and our path and our purpose is non-negotiable. So no wonder people respect you. No wonder you're highly successful in business. Uh, No wonder you're as, you know, transparent as what you are because it's like, you know, I don't need to hide any of what I am. I'm I'm proud of what I've gone through. I'm proud of what I've overcome. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Appalachian Mountain baby. <laughs> Just amazing. Well, the, the fun, the fun stuff, the fun things. There's a lot of fun things though. Uh, doing the research and meeting my family, like Loretta Lynn is my cousin. Um, Minnie Pearl is my cousin. Minnie Pearl. Get out. I, 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 yeah, I have the Minnie Pearl hat. Um, I tried playing, learning how to play banjo a couple times with, before I even knew this. <laughs> She's buried next to my dad in Franklin, Tennessee, and so I've been to the Hollers. I've been, I know, wow. I've, I've got to meet the family, and it's been really fun. Uh, you know, just just meeting them, and and I still have moonshiners in the family. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went to the Hollers, and you, you'll love this story. So. I, you know, I'm with my husband, and we decided to spend several weeks driving around that area and getting to meet and know the family. So I'm, I'm talking to my mom on the phone. We're on this back road in Hazard, Kentucky, and, and my mom's, you know, she kept saying, you have to visit the cemetery. I'm like, okay, because she said the whole family is buried at the cemetery. You have to visit, visit the cemetery. So we're driving down this road, and I'm calling her. I'm like, okay, we're on the road. There's no name for this road, so where's the cemetery? And she's like, I said, what, where, what does the sign say? What is the name of the cemetery? And she kept saying, it's the cemetery. It was like a Laurel and Hardy conversation. <laughs> Guess what the name of the cemetery was? The cemetery. The cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So thank God I have a four-wheel drive vehicle. So we go up this road, and it 
further you go up it, it is just a drop off on both sides. And my husband's like, oh my God, we got to turn around. I'm like, there is no turning around. We need to keep going. So we get to the top and it is a clearing of bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass. And you could see forever. It was absolutely gorgeous. And there was a cemetery. And the cemetery. The cemetery was there. Uh, I mean, it was dated back to uh, the 1800s. And, you know, my uncle who died just two years ago, he was there. And, and it was just, I mean, so he had to see he's trying to back up in the cemetery to get back down. So as we're going down, we are uh, met with a couple gentlemen with rifles in their hand. And, uh, well, and I'm like, um... McIntyre, uh, (laughs) 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 and they're like, and I'm like, uh, you know, Lowell and uh, Merv McIntyre, and oh, also Merv McIntyre, who's my grandfather, he's in the McDonald's School of the Marches. Oh my gosh. So I do have a lot of famous people in my family. So what I'm telling these guys, and they're like, you know, they're like, you're the law? And I'm like, no, I'm not the law. Well, when you're just when you're describing the sorry, Connie, when you're describing this story and the drive up to the cemetery, I just got this big visual picture of the Dukes of Hazards, and you're like Daisy yeah. Duke. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, and I'm, and I'm telling them, and they're like, "Well, why are you up here? You're not supposed to drive up here." But they don't drive up that road; they walk up that road. Oh, and here we are. Okay, we can drive. <laughs> You rebel, you, Connie. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely a rebel. So I got to spend some time with them. And, um, yeah, they're still moonshiners. Um, uh, they actually showed us what they, what they were doing. And so it was really, it was quite interesting. And then when I moved across country from the East Coast to L.A. a couple of years ago, I, I stopped with, with Mom, and she was with me, at Loretta Lynn's place. Uh, which is now west of Nashville. So I've been there. Wow. And um, it, it's the, the house that was in the movie, the big the big white house. Yeah. It's that house that we were at. And so, yeah, so I've, I've met the family. And so that was just really cool and to meet the family. And like I said, they, you know, but he welcomed me. The one, the one aunt, I thought she was going to have a heart attack. She walks in the room not knowing who I am, and she drops a tray of sweet tea, of all things, because she knew there was company and she was coming out from the kitchen. And she drops the tray of sweet tea because she looks looks at me and she's like, you're a Burkhart. And then when her husband, uncle, my uncle, has said, yeah, this is Connie, that's when she dropped a tray of sweet tea. She's like, we thought you were dead. And I'm like, no, here I am. <laughs> what a trip. So yeah, it it really was, and so I mean, you got I, a little bit of everything on that little adventure, huh? Oh, it was. It was real. It was interesting. And I have another brother um, who lives in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and of course, we're the same age. Uh, not not twins. He was born by another mother. Um, so my daughter was really upset about the whole thing, and I said, "Well, honey, look at it this way. I'm an only child." <laughs> I said, you know those Appalachian Mountain people. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Well, you know what, Connie? We're unfortunately we're quickly approaching the bottom of the hour, and these interviews, these lovely chats, always go way too quickly for my liking. So, what I would like to be able to give you the opportunity to do: where can listeners connect with you? How can they tune in? I mean, this is such you're so engaging. This is such a phenomenal story, and uh, I'm sure like we haven't even hit the iceberg here so we haven't scratched the surface so how can people connect with you well uh, i'm on social media just look for connie fife Mm -hmm. unstoppable diva be unstoppable together all over social media and then my website is fifegroup.com or to make it much easier for people go to the up or out network and that's where we send everybody because nobody knows how to spell fife so (laughs) So let's spell it together on the count of three. Let's do this together, Connie. Okay. And one, two, three, P, H, E, I, F, F. Two Fs. That's right, two Fs. Well, there's only one Connie Fife. I mean, what a story. I mean, you've been all over the map with this one. So I just wanted to congratulate you on all your success. I want to thank you for being you know, such a real trooper here on radio and, and just giving us the guts and the glory of it all because, you know, one usually doesn't exist without the other and you've mastered this and honed this beautifully for yourself. And um, I'm just, I'm really proud to know you, Connie. Really proud oh, to know you. And you too, Lisa. And I love being living fearlessly. Well, that's your doing. I think you did that long before <laughs> you probably ever strung those two words together to make a sentence or you know, conceive of a thought. So, I mean, good on you, Connie. And what would you quickly say as as imparting words to our listening audience, for anyone who's on the fence, for anyone who's struggling, you know, with some of the things, whether they can identify specifically with your examples of what you've personally gone through, but we know for people who are finding out that they're adopted, for people who have been fired or laid off from a job uh, through downsizing, the economy being is what it is, you know, just the culture and the times of what we live in where there's so much fear-mongering and, you know, it's all about greed and consumption. What would you say to people who are very quickly on the fence and they just need a little nudge? Where do they start? How do they start? They start by taking action. Mm-hmm. Um, and and fear, fear is the biggest thing of, of for people. You know, it holds them back. It holds them down. They live in a place of scarcity. You need to pick yourself up. You need to take action. Take inventory of what it is that you have to offer. Don't try to create something new because I can guarantee there's already something inside of you that can help give you that strength to move forward and find your purpose, have Mm -hmm. that passion, and that's when you will be unstoppable and that's when you can live without fear. Fantastic. Well, you know, and I would really encourage for people who aren't able to tune into this live, uh, you know, this is going to be streamed all over the place constantly. Uh, you know, listen to the podcast once it's released. It should be uploaded shortly. So I just want to really encourage people to slow it down, play it back, take notes. Connie's offered a lot of insight here, a lot of wisdom, and she's done it all with using humor and uh, some pretty interesting stories. So I just want to say, Connie, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. I'm really glad that we're connected. We've been on each other's shows now. We're part of the C-Suite family. 
Uh, I'm in great company. I'm in good hands. And I just want to say that I think you're kick-ass. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'll continue to follow you, promote you, whatever I can do to um, support you and in, in navigate you with your journey because you're, the world needs more Connie Fife's. That's for sure. And, again, listening audience, Fife is spelled P-H-E-I-F-F, Connie Fife. So to my listening audience, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule once again for joining myself and Connie here today on uh, the Contact Talk Radio Network. Again, I'm Lisa McDonald, your host of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, encouraging you to step into it, fear less, live more. Love and gratitude to you all. See you back here again next Friday. Take care. Love and gratitude. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. For more information about Lisa, go to her website, lisamcdonald.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>